If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. It's not enough just to put a bunch of characters on a float and put flowers on. The integration of story and float has to be really tight. A couple things happened. First of all, when we fired up the animation computer, it was dead. If you took a look at all the floats in the parade this year, we were the only one that wasn't a beautiful floating bouquet. It was just plain different. (laughs) Creating a float for Pasadena's Tournament of Roses parade independently is not only a labor of love, it's also the ultimate combination of science, technology, engineering, art, and math. Since March of 2024, thanks to Pam Wiedenbeck, Over Coffee has had the privilege of following one independent float builder's creative journey. Pam is Vice President of Float Development for La Cañada Flint Ridge Tournament of Roses Association, or LCFTRA for short. And they're one of only six community float builders called Self-Builts, which enter a float in the Rose Parade every year. On New Year's Day 2024, LCFTRA's Flower Power, a 1960s hippie bus with a rock band of flowers and a satellite float of Group Bs, not only wowed audiences, but also took home an unprecedented award. Pam, we last spoke in mid-October. Would you continue the story for me? It was just before your fundraiser. What happened next? Well, the weather continued to bless us. We had exactly two rain days between October and January 1st. That is a rare stretch. And I can tell you, we needed every minute of it. So no problems with the fundraiser, although it would have been nice to raise a few more funds. (laughs) One of the biggest challenges going into November and December was the fact that we got on the tournament test schedule so late that our T2 was scheduled a week earlier than we normally do. So even if we hadn't been behind schedule, we'd have been behind schedule. So we went ahead with it because everybody told us, no, you can't reschedule. No, you can't reschedule. No, you can't reschedule. But fortunately, tournament realized that we weren't going to make it. But by the time we got to that point, other builders were in the same situation. So we ended up doing a second try at it. And the second try, we passed. (laughs) But this was a, if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. So a couple things happened on the night before the first try at T2. First of all, when we fired up the animation computer, it was dead. Because it has to go handshake with the software that we run from a company in Burbank. And the company in Burbank was down. And I mean, they were so down 
they weren't responding to support emails and everything. And it was kind of like, huh? How come yesterday we were fine and today we're not fine? So we didn't worry about troubleshooting it then. We just went ahead and the one thing we knew had to be tested, we put on manual instead of automatic and we got through the test. But it turned, and we still don't know what happened because we still haven't gone down and gotten our reprogrammed chips from them yet. They loaned us equipment for the parade because they couldn't reprogram our chips. Oh, no. So I'm not going to mention any names because they're a fairly widely known (laughs) company. So at some point, we got to go try to retrieve our boxes and our chips and take back the loaner boxes that we had to get by. It was it was one of those things we were running we were running short staffed because some of our volunteers like to take vacations. <laughs> Around Christmas, how dare they? <laughs> yeah. Three key people were on round the world cruises. And I don't blame them. They work their butts off and everything. But so we ran, we proved to ourselves that we could run the whole show about 20 to 30 percent with about 20 to 30 percent fewer long-term volunteers than we normally did. Now, it wasn't fun for any of us, so a little bit more slack would have helped, but, but it was like saying, okay, we know we're running short-staffed, how can we make this work? So we tried a couple things. And one of them, I'm sure we're going to do again, got to be 10 p.m. With the exception of December 30th, at 10 p.m., we shut the site down. That was the end of a shift. We shut it down. Everybody went home so that when they came back the next day, they hadn't spent all night and then gotten a couple hours sleep and came back. So the only time we ran Plast 10 was on the 30th, and we ran till about midnight, 1230. And we came in the next morning and finished before judging. So this float among floats was cooperative. You can't blame the float for the fact the vendor had a problem. You can't blame because the vendor didn't have a problem until exactly that day. So it wasn't like We hadn't tried before. I'm convinced that gremlins creep into technology when you're up against a wall as far as time goes. I just have experienced that so often. (laughs) And we had people who came up with creative ways to get things done. And we did blow the budget badly. So, you know, that's my fault. But. You know, for the groups that told me how they were doing, we managed it. I had one group that didn't exactly tell me what was going on. And so I couldn't quite prepare management for what was going to happen. But we did it. We cleared the school parking lot on time on the 3rd. And we had a wonderful post parade and a wonderful memorial park. And we... We nailed one of the banners on our list. I had wondered, you had mentioned before about that chart that you showed me. And one of them on there was Golden State. I'd wonder if that was the one that you might have had in mind and didn't want to say so. Uh, Yeah, I mean, 
And that was one on the list. There were several other on the list. So we still got more to go. (laughs) Americana next, perhaps. Well, yeah, but there's one thing I've learned about Americana. And if you look at the floats that win Americana over the years, they don't really have lots of flags on them. I don't think we've ever had lots of flags on any of our floats. Closest we came was the firefighter float where we had some of the 9-11 firefighters as outwalkers. So there were some flags on that float. But if we just take a look at, and I was able by eyeball to eliminate the ones that we wanted that we weren't going to get. All you have to do is see the float and you can say, no, no, no. Yes, maybe. Yes, maybe. Yes, maybe. But so it was kind of interesting. And so we're now in the process of we whittled down 77 suggestions for designs last weekend. And we're down to four. And a week from Monday, we will sit down and we will take a look at the designer's drawings and we'll take them apart, put them back together. And probably have one more meeting then before we go into tournament theme draft. I do know the date for it, but they have not announced it yet. So, Okay, I'll be good and not ask. But instead, would you tell me about the day just before the parade, the judging? What was that like? It was kind of surreal because we really overstaged that, both with the stories the people who were accompanying the judges were going to tell. And we pulled something off that we've talked about in the past, but we've never done it, is we put our soundtrack on just bare volume. So it was just audible when you were near the flow, not enough to disturb anything or not. So I believe in subliminal messaging. And so (laughs) we played the judging soundtrack all the time the judges were around, so... And we honed the script for second judging and first judging. We knew we had something. Not quite sure what we had yet. Because if you took a look at all the floats in the parade this year, we were the only one that wasn't a beautiful floating bouquet. It was just plain different. And with the satellite and everything, it turned out to be a really, and post-parade, there were people who were just swarming us at post-parade. I'll tell you, there were people who said, oh, this is my favorite float. This is my favorite float. And to top it all off, after a year of being ignored by the local media, you know, no Saturday snapshots, no no reporters coming down or anything. KTLA gave us over four minutes of airtime. I noticed they kept the cameras on Flower Power. I thought that was fantastic. And I mean, if you calculate the cost of ad time on TV, that was a whole bunch of money. (laughs) (laughs) I think the social media presence was good. We have more repeat decorators from shift to shift than in previous late years, because when I calculated decorators, we were below the 750 individual mark. 
but we put in just under 2,000 shifts. So that meant if you did the numbers, and I'm I'm sorry, I'm a statistics freak, that meant that every single volunteer person worked just under three shifts. Wow. Which I think if I had the ability to go back and look may have been much better than we had done in the past. With our new volunteer sign-up system, we could tell the morning of how many people had canceled the night before because they could cancel themselves. So we were able to pull in walk-ins or not pull in walk-ins just based on the number of people we had. Now, the goal is next year to get that thing all automated. So if people come in, they scan a code and that logs them in and they just pick up their badge and go. But it was remarkable how little work it saved me. And I think once we get the details done on how groups can use it and start trusting groups that they can follow directions detailed directions so they get their people signed up, I think we'll have better. It'll go even smoother. It's interesting how it takes a while when you implement a new system. When the judges were there, was there any one moment that you saw a reaction you really loved, or do they have to keep a poker face when they're looking at these amazing floats? They're mostly poker faces. You have to realize that since I did not walk a judge, I don't see it. We did get feedback from the judging committee as the judges left and everything. This one tournament member whispered in my ear and he says, you nailed it. Now you realize we're at the end of the judging schedule. So they've already seen umpty ump floats judged and everything. So the fact that you can show them something new at three o'clock in the afternoon, second judging probably had a lot to do with that. Well, this was spectacular. If it's three o'clock in the afternoon, they're just leaving. When did you have to leave for parade lineup? Um, the next day, I was supposed to leave. I was supposed to help with the staging, and we were in the process of closing the street when I got called by my tournament person and said, get your butt over here right now. So I left an hour earlier than I normally would have left. But they pulled it off. There's some nice things on our Facebook page about judging and and parade and and everything. They pulled it off. They said they finished with eight minutes to spare. I mean, <laughs> very impressive, actually. Without damaging anything, that's actually pretty good. And I imagine if I think about what they were doing, they were enhancing, moving things slightly to get a better impact for one thing or another, as well as making sure the show ran and the music was syncing and everything like that. So I think on a whole, the next time I saw that float was at 1230 in the morning on Orange Grove. And what was your role that particular day? Were you going to be in? That was the end of convoy duty. I would have been home in bed by then if I hadn't walked down Orange Grove to meet the float, because it was one of the last ones in. After that happened, when did you find out about the award? Like everybody else, at six o'clock the next morning. Well, how did they do this? How do they give the float awards? The judges and the judging committee meet 
it tournament house about three o'clock in the morning. And they go through all their notes and all their scoring and everything. And they put it all together. And magically, it produces a list. And they review the list and they decide if that's... Then they go down the list and say, that float should get this award, that float should get this award, and everything until they have assigned all the awards. The way they're announced, and this is interesting, I've just found this out this year, the order the banners are announced from Tournament House, of course, number one is always sweepstakes. That's always announced first with all the fanfare and everything. But it turns out that the order that the awards are announced from then on are the order the banners entered the parade. Oh, I never knew that. Wow. And, well, I it was straightening out something else when I finally saw how the banners are stored. And each banner has a number. And if you go back and you listen to the award presentation, the awards, other than sweepstakes, there's always been a sweepstakes-like award. So it's, but calling it sweepstakes probably didn't happen until the 20s or 30s. Then if you watch how the awards are awarded, the oldest awards are awarded first and move towards the more modern banners as they were introduced. If you're a float like us that traditionally wins one in that early group and you don't get an ounce, boy, you start nail-biting. And Downey got, and so no self-built had ever won Golden State. However, Downey had the coup. Downey won the Wrigley Legacy Award and no self-built had ever won that. And that's in the composite column. You got to check every single box. That's one of the banners in the composite column. And so of the six self-builts, there were six banners, four of them. And I wish I could remember them off the top of my head. No self-built had ever won before. That's exciting stuff. Wow. Which is really necessary given how the parade is moving more towards entertainment and having each float be a show unto itself rather than just, you know, creating a scene and then hauling the scene down the parade with some music. The one thing we've learned in the last three years coming back from pandemic, the integration of story and float has to be really tight. It sure looked like it worked well this year. What will be your absolute favorite memory or one of them from the parade itself? Well, that's kind of hard to say because my duty the next morning is down at post parade when the floats come in. So I see them at the end of the parade. And so I'm barely awake, 2.30, 5.30, three hours sleep. Then I'm back. But I think that this year, 
just being able to pull it off, given how shorthanded we were to build this float and how people stepped up to fill in the gaps from a purely management point of view, not from an artistic point of view or anything else. This is one of the most cohesive teams in 50 years of management I've ever managed. And they didn't even know they were doing it. Now, as we move forward, you mentioned what's happening with the 2025 float. What do you need? How can people best support you? Money. <laughs> okay. How do they do this? I think there's a GoFundMe out there somewhere. The challenge, and I think we're all seeing it, is as the tournament moves more towards show-in-a-box type things, the floats get more expensive. Not only do you have just the increase in materials costs that the pandemic kicked into high gear, you now say, okay, it's not enough just to put a bunch of characters on a float and put flowers on. How do you take and develop the story from day one and create the story and create the imagery and then pay for the imagery along the line? Because as we go on, the awards we're missing are more in the decoration and the integration of decoration and design than they are in the mechanics of building a float. So when it's in steel and stuff, steel and stuff, we can estimate. We know how to do that. When it comes to decorating materials and everything, we know what the dollars are, but do we know that we're getting the best bang for our buck for the materials we're choosing to do the job? That's the next big lesson learned. And so to continue this, we need more money for flowers, hence the GoFundMe. <laughs> it used to be that people would also contribute materials from their gardens. Do they still do that? Not much anymore. A couple of reasons. That used to be particularly true of citrus with in Southern California with all the fruit fly bans. Citrus can't be moved across a lot of city boundaries. So, yes. You can collect it in Burbank and you can put it on the Burbank float, but you can't take that float then to Pasadena. Oh, no. Okay. Nothing from the yards then. So very little from the yards. I mean, the closest we come to that is when we need to do character tongues, you know, something bright red. We have people bring in all the poinsettias that they got for Christmas that they're going to throw away. And so we use the big petals to do that. But it's really hard. We'll also, if we're big into leaves and branches, we'll call both the Huntington and Descanso, and we'll ask them if we can help them with their pruning. Talk about resourceful. I'll want to put up a link to the GoFundMe. Will there also be, like you had Wine and Roses this past year, some fundraiser events people might want to watch out for? I think they're planning the first fundraiser event and I was talking to the chair the other day. She's in charge of Day at the Races. And this is more or less, we go to Santa Anita Park and we drink and we gamble and we pay for the privilege of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and it supports a wonderful cause. And it supports a wonderful cause. And it's a little bit different from what we do. 
the next big volunteer thing, and hopefully we can be a little bit more proactive about getting merchandise in this year, hence wrapping up some of the story early so we can get things moving. At Fiesta Days Memorial Park, you know, we've had a couple of years where we've had moderate success having a booth where people come and they buy things and they make donations and everything. Somewhere in midsummer, I think they're planning on having a poker party. And I usually make a donation, but going and playing poker for high stakes is not something that's high on my list of things to do. <laughs> Can't say it's mine either, truthfully. <laughs> but believe it or not, we have a fair number of people in the association where it is on their list of things that they love to do. And then, of course, we get into Wine and Roses again. And, of course, if we have characters on the float, the characters will have to have names. And so we'll sell the naming rights. I found out something that I did not know today as I was researching old float designs for our upcoming meetings on the new float is Ann Nielsen was pretty sure that the first year we actually sold Naming rights to characters was doggone, which was 2014. It turns out I ran into an old float that's got a lot of lessons learned in it, but it also reflects on one of the designs we're developing today. It turned out they were selling naming rights back in 1999. So the tradition goes back even further than I thought it did. So there'll be naming rights. There'll be discussions about are there outwalkers, are there riders, are you know, whatever, whatever the theme looks like. This particular theme has a lot of pitfalls. Best day ever. Well, if you look at the new president's presentation of it, birthdays, weddings, celebrations. There's a common hump in here. So you can say, oh, learning to read. Okay, well, that's a UPS type of float. And then you have learning to walk. Then you have one legacy who will fall right into this theme without even missing a beat. Then you say, how do you twist it? How do you find a best day ever? That's not one of the common best days ever, which is where we're trying to go. Ooh, I'd love to see what you wind <laughs> up choosing. <laughs> and that's the thing. When you have a wide open builders theme like this, the service organizations are going, yes, because, of course, best day ever is when they accomplish their mission and their missions are more humanitarian and everything. And then so you take a look and where does that leave where does that leave a hole so if you're somebody is proposing a family outing for one of your themes that we have to look at what kind of family out what family outing can be not just going to the beach going to the park going to another parade going to this going to that how can you twist it? 
I'll be interested to see what you come up with. Well, and that's the whole thing. And it's become more clear that if you don't have your story when you start, if you can't look at your float when you go to theme draft and tell the integrated story, maybe not all embellished yet, there you haven't got a float. Because I can now look at all of La Cunata's floats in historical context. And I can pick out the ones that didn't have a story. Story didn't have a story that melded with the theme. What creative lesson will you be taking forward with you as you work on the 2025 float from Flower Power? Not to spend so much money on flowers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They have to be expensive. Yeah. And... We're going to go backwards to go forwards. We're going to pull in some processes that used to be done in the organization that fell out of favor for whatever reason, and we're going to bring them back, and we're going to start to integrate the process in April and May instead of waiting until August and September. What kind of processes, if you can tell me that? Well, there's a process on the decoration side, which is called call-out, where you sit there with a rendering and you call out everything down to the detail of glints in eyeballs. And then you say, what color is it? What material? And you go through that. You can have something like seven, 800 individual parts of a float that need to be decorated. Each one has paint color. Each one has a material. Each one has decorating material. That could be dry. It could be green leafy. It could be floral. And so we were actually pretty good at that. What we weren't good about that is taking a look at the float as a whole and saying, how can we have the three kinds of decorating material play off each other? So I think trying to recreate that process, having the designer involved in that process from the beginning. And then the other big thing is I don't think they teach geometry in schools anymore. One of the biggest things we have a challenge with on the building side is we don't exactly just build boxes. Most of our people can calculate the area of a box. But how do you calculate the area of a dragon? How do you calculate the area, um, say, last year of a tie-dye pattern? How are you going to split the percentages up once the pattern is painted? Now, I happen to think that we missed a bet last year we could have taken a photograph of the painted pattern, and I'll bet you we could have fed it to ChatGPT and had it calculate for us with just some basic parameters. There's that. How do we say, gee, that really isn't a box? or a prism, or a sphere, or a cylinder, or anything. 
And what I find I'm having a hard time doing, and I'm guessing it's not done in schools, is at least back when I was in geometry, when you got a strange shape, you were taught to take it apart into things you understood. And so I think we do that less. We have become so reliant on our technical tools that we have forgotten how to think about why those tools should work. This is going to be interesting to watch you put together. Well, I was struck by all the detail on flower power, the peace and love at the back, the cool bus as opposed to a school bus. Of course, the group bees. I'll be interested to see what you come up with for the new float. <laughs> and of course, those grow over the year. When you go into theme draft, those don't exist yet. Somebody goes, oh, okay, well, we got the bus. We know it's groupies. Oh. And the designer says, well, why aren't they groupies? <laughs> you know, bees are tiny little things, and we got flowers over there and, and everything. I still think scale-wise, those were pretty big bees for our flowers. Anyway, <laughs> but the we call them Easter eggs. They just happen. Some tournament member said, Oh, instead of a school bus, you're building a cool bus. Okay, so cool bus got enshrined. Now, we missed a lot of school bus details because we ran out of time. We didn't have the stop sign flags on the side. We didn't have, we didn't put La Cunata Unified School District somewhere on the thing. We didn't have the big stop sign on the back of the bus and everything. So we could have taken the school bus theme a lot deeper, but that takes time. And it takes people thinking of it before the 1st of December. <laughs> it's funny how sometimes inspiration just seems to strike 24 hours prior. Uh, we can do some of that, but anything that has to do with words, symbols, or anything, you're always wise to run by tournament so that you don't have a problem. So Cool Bus got run by tournament. And I don't know if you noticed it in the overhead shots, but we actually had the logo on the top of the bus. And because otherwise, it's just this big yellow thingy. So what does the blimp have to look at? So we gave the blimp something to look at. But we had to take that through a tournament process to get it approved. Because that's a whole lot bigger than they let a title sign be. And <laughs> you're up on the top of a bus. So you have to you have to say, okay, what has to go through design variance? What doesn't have to go through design variance? What are you going to take through design variance just as a courtesy so that you don't get blindsided when the rule changes halfway through the year? So, but the Easter eggs that people invent that end up on our floats are amazing, you know. And you create them on the fly. I didn't get to look at the float itself this year, thanks to being isolated, but would I have seen Easter eggs and surprises if I had come to a float showcase? Yeah, you would have. And, and the thing is, some people notice them and some people don't. So some people noticed that the wheels turned with the float, even though they weren't driving the float. That was a mechanism, or was a darn hard mechanism to make, too. That was a mechanism so that the bus wheels looked like they were doing what the float is. And I'm still convinced my designer tweaked 
the camera side wheel so it looked like it was rickety. I think he did it on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) He was having fun. He was having fun, yes, because it didn't fall off and it was nowhere near falling off. So I think he tweaked the mechanism at the last minute. (laughs) You know, we, we found out something new. Somebody donated a car lift to us, you know, the Jiffy Lube hydraulic car lift. Well, somebody donated one to us. So our, most of our entire stow mechanism was the car lift, just lifting the back of the float up and down. It saves a whole lot of plumbing if you do it that way. So how do we take this and take it and meld it into a surprise best day ever? Not a common best day ever. I can't wait to see. This is going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned that you had a pretty much new team when we did an interview at the very beginning. And you've just now told me, this was one of the easiest ever to manage. What would you like to teach the next generation of float designers about innovation, creativity, and making a difference as you go forward? I think the biggest thing, and this will vary, it's different if you're working in a nonprofit world from a corporate world. But I think in the nonprofit world, too often project managers from the profit world who end up in their second, third, fourth careers in the nonprofit world forget that volunteers will only do what volunteers want to do. And the key is not micromanaging, which is why we manage by milestones. Here's the dates we're going to hit. We hit these dates, we're golden. So while the detailed milestones, there's a whole lot of them because I integrate some of the fundraising milestones in, there's really fewer than 10 milestones a self-built float builder has to meet in order to get a float on the parade, information area. And the timing of them is roughly the same every year within a week or so. So teaching people that there is a rhythm to what they're doing and the fact that the rhythm is driven by this. I didn't generate a single project plan. I came in and I wrote on the whiteboard the key milestones and how many days were left to make it. And I didn't say anything, but the people who were working on the float self-organized into the teams they needed to self-organize into to get their jobs done. That's why it was simpler for me. Now, that's one, the construction side is one low. I will short people on the people who have to manage the site for the two weeks that we're decorating. But I had enough people cross over and pick up things that need to be done without being asked that we made it. I had people who had done parts of that job before step into leadership roles, mostly on their own initiative. 
So what I really see is in the nonprofit world, now this isn't the big nonprofits. This isn't the Kiwanis and the VFW and everybody who has bylaws and procedures and books to fight. Most of your medium-sized to small nonprofits, they have a mission. They have a half a dozen things every year they have to do to make their mission. They make them, they make money, and make people happy. That's what I learned this year. And that's why, as tired as I was, and in December as sleep-deprived as I was, the milestones were still being hit on schedule, which meant there wasn't this worry stress on top of everything else that you're trying to do. So now this year is bringing all three pieces together, working on the same set of milestones. Of course, I failed to ask you, as people hear us here and say, whoa, I'd love to work with her. How soon can they start to sign up and what will you need from them? As usual, you know, they can send me an email if they want to be on our notification list. My first real Email to all my construction and site team goes out Thursday. And for at least this first four months of the year, we meet every Saturday morning from about nine to one behind the Valley Water Company in Locking Out of Flint Ridge on Hampton Road next to Flint Ridge Prep School. You just walk in, you fill out the paperwork, and you do what needs to be done. And right now it's putting away all the stuff that's on the float and needs to come off the float. (laughs) Dismantling. You have to deconstruct before you can construct. Must be a little bit like taking down a Christmas tree, but I imagine some people will come to do it. Some people come to do it. We're going to try to get more scout groups involved in this phase too. We pulled them in late in the year last year. We had school groups and everything come in. They didn't do much. But if I got one from every group with the bug or one of the parents with the bug, then that's all I can hope for. I mean, I got somebody said, oh, we can give you donuts. I said, sure, I'll take donuts. And it turns out that at least two of the 10 people who were involved, I think, have the float virus. And not only that, we're going to get more donuts this year. Pam shared one of the occupational hazards of having that float building bug bite. I found various pieces of my desk this week. There are various pieces of my desk I haven't seen for 13 months. I need to excavate. And somewhere in those are probably tasks that need to be done. (laughs) Wow, your desk sounds like my desk. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I look at your background there and your desk is, all you have to do is look at my (laughs) Somebody said, can you tell me where you got the picture of your background for Zoom? And I said, what picture? Well, I'd like my office to look like that on Zoom. And I said, that takes a lot of dedication. (laughs) And it's one of these things is not everybody can do everything. Not everybody wants to learn to do everything. But if you give me 40 or 50 hours a year, you've done a job that needs to be done. Pam, thank you for your time today. Thank you. You and I have been listening to Pam Wiedenbeck. 
Vice President of Float Development for nonprofit La Cañada Flint Ridge Tournament of Roses Association. As Pam mentioned, LCFTRA is welcoming volunteers as they dismantle flower power and begin work on their 2025 Rose Parade float. Work days are happening Saturdays from 9 till about 1 in the afternoon in La Cañada Flint Ridge. You'll find them behind the Valley Water Company on Hampton Road and more information on lcftra.org. And if you don't happen to be in the Southern California area, but you'd like to support LCFTRA, you'll find their GoFundMe on their website. Once again, that's lcftra.org. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. Be sure you subscribe. It's free by clicking the link on our website. Our music is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.